I have lived by your promises. I've tested your promises. And I love them. I like them. God makes promises. When, uh, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned against God, God came to them and He made to them a promise. He said, there's going to be a son born to you whose heel will crush the serpent's head while his heel is being bruised. There's a promise He made of a son who would come and undo what Satan did. Right? It's a promise. Noah, when he went on the ark, God made to him and his family a promise that God was not going to destroy the world with the flood again. And Noah has to live his life out under this promise that God has made. When God called Abraham to leave everything that he knew, everything that was familiar to him, he said, go out into a land that I will show you and I will be with you. And I will make of you a great people. And Abraham had to live in the light of that promise going forward. God gave him no tangible progress towards becoming a great nation. In fact, he only gets two sons and he gets a bunch of, of other children in a different way. He only gets really one son of promise. And that's not much of a gain on being a great nation. God makes a promise to him. He lives in that promise. And then in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham again hears this promise from the Lord. And Abraham believes that promise in Genesis 15, 6. And the Bible says, and it was credited to him for righteousness. For righteousness. And then in chapter 15, 16, 17, um, He goes into a very dark place. The Bible says that he, he divides an offering and a very horrible darkness fell upon him. And in that horrible darkness, God came and he moved amongst the sacrifices confirming the promise that he had made to him. Abraham is living by the promise, going forward, trusting in the promises of God. Now my friends... A good number of us here have been serving the Lord and living for the Lord a long time. And we can say to you, our testimony to you who have not or who are just beginning your journey of faith, is you can trust the promises of God. God makes His promises and He keeps His word. He keeps His word to us. And there are some promises that we have to kind of keep rehearsing to ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always. That's a promise He's made to us. That's a promise that He's made to us that's not contingent upon our behavior as His children. It's a covenant without demands. If you are His child, He will be with you. Now sometimes we don't think He's with us, because he doesn't make himself known to us all the time. But every once in a while, the Lord will reach down his finger from heaven and kind of poke you in the heart, in the eye, <laughs> and say, I'm up here, and I see where you are. 
these promises that God has made. We live by these promises. Promises of the Scripture. I think the, the most glorious promise that I know in the Scripture is the one that says, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you a rest. The yoke of, of sin. The yoke of guilt. The burden of sin. If you come to Christ, He'll take it from you, and He doesn't put it back. It's a promise. Whosoever will may come, we sing in the song. In that great little text in Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let whoever is a thirst come and drink of the waters of life freely. These promises of God. We have these promises of God that talks about His Word, His message, His gospel, as it goes forth into the world, that His Word, His message, will not return to Him void. It will accomplish the thing to which He has sent it, that God will be successful in His purpose. Sometimes in our life, sometimes in, from our perspective in this world, it doesn't look like God's purposes are being fulfilled or carried out. It doesn't look like He's being victorious. But that's because our perspective is from down here and not up there. God is victorious. His purposes are being carried out. And if His Word, if His Gospel is meant to make a difference in a person's life, you can guarantee that it will make a difference no matter how hopeless it looks to you at the moment. We have people in our lives that we pray for and we're concerned about. People we we want to see come to faith in Christ. And as they become more and more hard-hearted and stiff-necked and thick-headed about things, we think, well, God, they're too far gone. My word shall accomplish that which I have sent it to do. He'll do it. Nothing can stop him. That's a promise that we have from him. The promise. Jesus said to the disciples, if I go away, I will, I will send to you another comforter, a comforter that's better than Jesus, another comforter. Now, remember in John chapter 11, Lazarus dies, and Martha and Mary, when Lazarus is sick, they send for Jesus come, Lazarus is sick. But Jesus doesn't show up right away. After Lazarus does die, Jesus finally gets there. And Martha and Mary, they say, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And probably if Lazarus had died while he had been there, they would have felt differently about the whole situation because of his comfort. What's striking me about the New Testament and the Gospels is that Jesus is in him as all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but he's limited by time and space. Jesus was not everywhere at all times when he was on the earth. He was just in this one particular spot. So when he's with the 12 apostles, if he's just with James and John, he's just with them. He's not with everybody else. The comfort Jesus provided when he was on the earth was limited in its scope. He couldn't be with everybody. He couldn't be here in Michigan. Did Michigan exist back then? I guess geographically this area existed. I never thought about it like that. Jesus couldn't be in Galilee and in Jerusalem at the same time because he was in a body. 
Jesus couldn't be there when he wasn't there. But he says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to leave behind somebody who is another comforter, somebody who is better. And at Pentecost, there was that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And since then, every person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has not dwelt with God, Emmanuel, God with us, but every believer since then has had the Spirit of Christ within us, living within us. And that's a lot better. Because if He's in us, He's never going to leave us. He's always there. Always there's a promise He made. I will send the, the Holy Spirit. I will send another comforter. And my friends, I have experienced God's comfort I've experienced that promise. There's been some times when I felt like my, my life was just going off the rails. I feel like I'm in a tornado, just pew, 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 pew. And take up God's word and see the promise and then feel the reality of the promise. These promises are good. I love these promises. Jesus told the Apostles, he told Peter in John 13, he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. It's a promise that Jesus is going to return. He's going to come again. And I think what's interesting in John is Jesus, in one sense, he does go away in the crucifixion. He dies, is buried, but then he rises again. He goes away. He comes again. But in John 14, he's talking about when he comes again. Again. <laughs> when he comes back and sets up the millennial kingdom upon the earth, he's going to come again. He's going to come. That's a promise that we have. He's going to come these promises of God's Word. The Bible's filled with these promises. Listen to what the psalmist says. Your promise is well tried, well tested, well tested, well tested. If you're going to trust something, you've got to test it, right? I hurt my knee playing basketball a few weeks ago, and every day I get up and I test it. So I want to know if I can trust it. And so I'll go in, and if I fall, don't laugh at me, all right? Everybody promise? <laughs> so the other day, I think Valerie caught me doing it. I was in the kitchen, standing on one foot. Oh, testing it. And I see, well, maybe the left is just as weak. Left is better. Oh, test. I don't want to let go of the pulpit. <laughs> I'm testing it to see if I can lean on it. And this is what we do with God. Sometimes you have to test God. Can we trust Him? In order to trust Him, sometimes you have to step out on faith and trust Him. Faith is the conviction that the unseen is real without any proof that it is real. That's a paraphrase of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith in Him. You can trust Him. Now this morning, I hope that you'll trust Him in this way first, that you'll trust Him as your Savior. 
He can take away your sins. Now, the voice of the world, the voice of Satan says to you, he will not take away your sins. He can't possibly take away all of your sins. But he can. Now, I know some, I've, known, I've only been here a couple years. I know some of you better than others. I know some of you were really, really stinkers when the Lord saved you. <laughs> and then there's a lot of us, maybe a person like me, who only you and Jesus really know how bad you were when the Lord saved you. The Lord saves. He will take away your sins if you put your trust in Him. But you have to do it by faith. You can trust that promise. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be delivered from the penalty and the punishment, and finally, one day from the presence of sins. Well tried. You can trust the Lord. Trust Him to save you. And then I hope you'll trust the Lord to guide you because He will guide you. If you want to be led by Him, He will lead you. The psalmist says it here. Thy word is a lamp unto my path, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He will guide you. He'll help you know where to go. David prays here in the Psalms, Lord, show me a plain path because of my enemies. Because sometimes the right direction is not always obvious. And so you say, Lord, I don't, know what, I don't know what choice I should make here. Please make it obvious to me. Right? Let's say you're going to buy a car. And you go down there and you say, should I buy the red one or the green one? And you decide, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go have a little prayer and say, Lord, which car should I buy? And then you come back out there. And the green one is on fire. <laughs> Which one should you buy? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. A plain path. Lord, make it really obvious what I should do here. You say, well, God didn't, wouldn't do that. <laughs> he, he does. He's done it for me. That's, the, that's, that's how I wound up here in Michigan. I hate to talk about it like that, but... That's how I got here. No other path to go down. <laughs> no other highway was open but northbound. <laughs> you can trust the Lord to, to guide you in your life. You can trust Him. Your promise is well tried. You may say, well, I don't think God can get me through this. Trust Him to get you through because He can get you through. It wasn't just a handful of years ago that my wife and I went into such a dark episode in our life that really some, at some moments I thought, we will not make it through this. I didn't know. Sometimes maybe you know how things can happen. What? Is this going to ruin us as a family? Is it going to ruin us as a couple? Is it going to destroy us? And God has gotten us through it. Gotten us through it. You can't get through hard times until you get in the hard times. Right? 
You can trust Him to get you through it. Through it. Your promise is well tried. Now, probably we need to be be sure that this is true for us, that it is well tried, that it is often tried. Trusting the Lord's promises shouldn't be a rare thing for us. It should be a frequent thing for us. It should be the habit of our life, the normal condition of our life to be trusting in His promises. Promises. And the result is the servant loves it. I love the promises of God because they're well tried. You don't love something that lets you down. You don't love something that disappoints you. You love something that fulfills, something that measures up. Now, every once in a while, it's nice to go fishing, right? Now, the best fishing of my whole life so far ended when I went to college. I haven't loved fishing or had as much fun fishing as I did from the years 1996 or 1994, really. I got my driver's license to 1996. At that time, I fished in two ponds almost exclusively. Two ponds. And there was a third pond that was posted and no trespassing signs. And every once in a while, the devil would make me go there. We had to park down the hill, crawl through a fence, and belly crawl because this farmer lived, his house was up on the hill. And if we kept the hill between he and us, he couldn't see us get to the water. And it is there that one of my friends caught, uh, it was just a couple ounces short of the Illinois state record largemouth bass. If you're going to catch a record bass, catch it on posted land, man. <laughs> so anyway. But I can remember going to that pond. Um, a guy named Dennis who lived across the way from us. He had a big pond. Then an old lady whose name I've forgotten now. I can still see her face, the old Pentecostal lady. And uh, Dennis Cook's pond was, was close to our house. And I could go to Dennis Cook's pond any day because every fish over there loved this little two-inch white twister tail grub. You could... You could any time of day, you could go over there and just toss it right up in the grass or right underneath the trees, and bloop. <laughs> Lip it, pop it out, throw it back in the water. I took a guy there fishing, one of my dad's friends one time. We caught a hundred two-pound bass in one night. It was, it was great. It was great. It was, it was Tim Green. It was magnificent. And, uh, and, I, and Mrs. That, I start to say her name. In both of those places, it was always predictable. Always predictable. I knew if I threw the bait right there, I'm going to get a fish. Now, friends, that's, the, that, that's great fishing. That's a honey hole. I never kept any fish because, you know, you guys who keep fish and clean them, you guys are barbarians. <laughs> it, was so, it was so delicious to go there. 
because that pond was well-tried, well-trusted. I could take anybody there. And we catch fish, which is so, so delicious, so delicious. I loved those places because of what they did for me. They did it for me over and over and over and over again. Every time I went there, every time, I found satisfaction. First time I used a fly rod was over there. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. I loved them. And my friend, the promises of God, if they are well tried by you, will be something that you love. Because you can go there again and again and be satisfied. You can be helped. You can be nourished. I have taken up this book from God so many times in so many of the difficult moments of my life, and I have found within this word promises, fulfillment, comfort. I found past promises that have been fulfilled, and I remember how God did something for me back then. I find promises to claim and live by now, and I find promises about the future that I know are going to be fulfilled. Because the promises of God are well tried. And therefore, thy servant loves them. Living by the promises of God. Not the promises of politicians, because they never hold up their end. Not by the promises of our wives, because they're not perfect, except for mine. <laughs> not by the promises of your husband. Because he's just a man. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Giving all your love to just one man. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. You can't live by the promises of your kids because they're going to let you down. They're just kids. But the promises of God, they will never let you down. But it begins with that promise of coming to Him for salvation, having your sins taken away. And then even if, even if your life is never really peachy, you have this promise, this promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also with the Lord. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the promises of your word are true. I can say that from experience. And I feel like there are a lot of people here who could say amen to that, that they know it. And then there are some here, Lord, who they've heard the promise, but they don't know. They haven't really come to know you in that intimate, powerful way. They have yet to see your hand in that finger from heaven kind of moment. And Lord, I pray that maybe now, 
that you'd reach down from heaven and show them that you're there. Maybe there's a promise that that they're kind of clinging to half-heartedly that you could fulfill for them. Maybe there's a decision that they're trying to make and maybe you could give them the solution. Maybe you could narrow it down for them, Father. And Lord, there are those here who are going through it, going through it. And sometimes what we're going through kind of obliterates what we know. And I think that's where I found myself many times, Father. And Lord, I pray you'd help them to know you're there and you're upholding them. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.